0: There are a lot of times when you may not be working for someone who understands what your team is supposed to do. So that person may not understand how long it takes to do something or may not understand how difficult the thing is that they have asked you to do is. That's happened to me a bunch of times. And earlier on in my career, regardless of how aggressive or ridiculous the thing, the request was, I would have gone and killed myself to try and get it done anyway, because that was the expectation. And... So if you so let's say this if you have management who understands I would hope that you would feel much less like an imposter but even in a in a in a caring situation or an understanding situation it's still present So JT, last episode, we talked at length about my former coworker, Herb, and didn't really, I wasn't really happy with uh, some of the conclusions we drew. And I was also thinking about, there are people out there, listeners out there that go through an experience every day at work, and they feel like they're an imposter and they don't belong. So I'm not trying to take the point of view of Herb, because we established pretty thoroughly in the in the previous episode that. What Herb was doing was not being an imposter. He was, he was fraudulently snowballing everybody. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of address the other side of this. If you're in a position where you feel like you don't belong or you're intimidated by things, and I know that there's a lot of people out in our profession that feel this way. Even people like at the top of a profession maybe still have this kind of, I don't know everything. The vastness of the Linux ecosystem and all the things you can do with it and all the, all the things you may be called upon to do in a production scenario, or something, or or all the development tools out there, all the DevOps tools that have grown, they sprung up like out of the ground. In the last 10 years, we have so many toolkits and so many tools to do DevOps stuff. It's really intimidating when you think about how many tools there are out there. And I imagine there's quite a lot of people that feel like they don't have enough knowledge to be doing the position in which they're in, or maybe the position that they want to be in. And I kind of want to talk through that some this episode, and maybe we can diffuse it a little bit, help people to feel a little bit more comfortable, offer some things that you could do to help alleviate maybe the, some of those feelings or address them. Uh, I know we're not going to, like, cure cancer or anything here, but I'm hopeful that we can just kind of bring this topic out and talk about it openly, because I know I've, ex- I've experienced it, and I've been linux for a long time. Uh, I would probably hazard that you've experienced it some, too. I think everybody in our profession has. Uh, I, don't, I don't say professional, in our hobby, um, because I, I don't want to exclude people that don't do it for a job. Like if you're part of an open source community and you commit something and it's not really your job, then you're still part of the community and you could still maybe experience this. And I know it's also in other fields too. I think I hear about it or see it mostly in, in our side of things because there is just so much to learn. There's so many layers you me, You talk about networking, security, uh, system stack. At, at four or five, six different points, you can kind of take a look at what you want. To, what depth do you want to go into? How deep do you want to go? How far do you need to go to understand enough to do the job as you understand it? And there's always more territory to explore. And there's so much information to learn. I mean, the deeper you go, I mean, if, if we decide, okay, I really need to understand how a computer works, you start diving into... Wow, well, how modern computer works, how, how a modern motherboard boots. And you realize that, oh, gosh, the processor is really not like the first layer. It's like layer nine. There's so many other layers below it, the baseband systems and the on motherboard stuff and then the, the microcode in the processor. And there's just there's so many places to go. Where is enough? So. I'm curious if um, you have a specific uh, imposter syndrome experience you might share, and I'll share one of mine. And we can kind of talk through it.
1: Um, okay. So yes and no. Like when I first came onto IX, I, I ran into a problem of they actually knowingly hired me to do a job I didn't know how to do. Hmm. And again, they knowingly hired me to do a job they knew I didn't know how to do. Right. So I still kind of felt it in many ways because I always felt that I should have been better at doing what I didn't know how to do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: even though everyone was on board with that. So I ran into the problem of, like, I didn't think I was progressing fast enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't think I was learning fast enough. I mean, I never had any negative reviews. They were all like, no, no, you're doing great. You're doing exactly what we want. But I always expected more of myself, mm-hmm. um, and that's just generally me. Mm-hmm. I expect that I'm going to be able to pick up something quick, and I'm going to be able to get to proficiency very quickly. And programming is one of those things where you can get proficient at it, but there's always more proficiency you can get. Yes, exactly. It's it's not one of those things where you've reached the point of okay, I know how to do all the things now, I can just do them. Mm-hmm. Um I think generally though, that's kind of where my brain likes to live is to find things that there's a skill set you can then master 90% of that skill set and then spend the rest of your time trying to master that last 10%. Mm-hmm. That's not the way development works. Right. So that's just a, a difficulty with myself, just the way I prefer to operate mm-hmm. and just the way reality is with the field.
0: So I think to take it into a different field entirely, because something that's that's a fixed point. Let's say you are learning how to defend yourself, right? So there's all these different schools of fighting, and then you could get into if you want to start using weapons or something. Let's let's, let's do something, you know, you're learning to use a sword. All right. So there's hundreds of different types of swords with different weights and, and types and materials and uses and flexibility and all kinds of things. So first of all, which one are you picking? Right, so let's say you specialize in broad swords. I don't know, you're, you you like to braveheart or something. So, the more you learn about the topic, the more you recognize the depth of it and how many more things there are to learn. And then also, if you're fighting, you have to kind of learn other weapons too, so you can defend against them. You've chosen the broadsword; it's not particularly good about against fast weapons because it's so big. So you have to learn the peculiarities of these other things. And it very rapidly snowballs into, now I have to know all these weapons. At what depth do you need to know them? Maybe you can say this is true about almost every field of study. There is a depth to everything. It, it, the deeper you want to go, the more information there is, I would think. So I, I will take back what I said earlier about I see it more in our profession. Because I, I, now I can see any profession conceivably, even something customer service, there's more ways to handle this person or, or a new leadership technique for this or that. So there's always something, some way that someone can experience this. And it can be really, really crippling. I don't recall having like crippling imposter syndrome, but I've had it at several jobs, especially early on when I was getting start doing Linux professionally. I was the only one in my company. The first time I was doing Linux professionally, I was working for an oil consulting firm in Dallas. And I was the only one that really understood Linux. In fact, I was a data okay. analyst there originally. And I happened to be in the right place at the right time. They had purchased a Linux cluster and they were had, I don't know how this goes together. And meanwhile, me who's been doing Linux for like 12 years casually as a hobby and then somewhat more seriously, I was like, uh, well, I know Linux. You guys need some help? And yeah. Like, oh perfect. Yeah, okay. You're gonna help. You know, just like pointing and it's like, oh okay, now I'm doing this thing. So it was a it was a neat opportunity. And uh I remember thinking I got really lucky in being able to do Linux professionally that early. But I remember also thinking, okay, I've been doing this kind of on my own for so long. We're going to need some technologies in here that I've never used, like LDAP. I'd never used LDAP before. I didn't know how it worked. I never put up an LDAP server. So I had to learn all of this stuff. And, but we needed it because we had eight systems in this cluster and we needed some kind of central authentication, right? So I remember feeling all the time that I was not cut out to do the things that they expected. And it really, it had a, both a positive and a negative effect on me. Okay. Positive because it drove my study. I spent a lot of my spare time studying and getting better, investing deeply in open source communities and IRC and learning as much as I can. I spent a lot of my spare time just learning. Okay. And I lean on that kind of learning even today. So it was beneficial in that respect, but I, in the same sentence, I spent a lot of my spare time learning, which means I was not spending it relaxing. I was not spending it hanging out with friends. I was not spending it playing video games. I was, I was learning. I was doing all this stuff. I was just investing all the time, trying to learn at night what I think I would use the next day, frankly, at some points. And that was really pretty toxic because it, it just, it lends itself to, well, you don't really get to go with your friends as much. And you're cutting yourself off from opportunities to live life. And it completely destroys your work-life balance. I didn't really realize I was doing that. I was I was willing to do that back then because I thought this is how I'm going to get ahead. But uh, I regret doing it now, I guess.
1: Yeah, so work-life balance is yet another thing that we have been needing to talk about for a while. Um, and we will... Definitely have to do an episode on that. I feel like we,
0: yeah, we've entered into this thicket of related topics, and we're just going to have to work our way through now. You know, so now we got at least two or three buffered episodes coming up that you can look forward to. It seems like um, I I had imposter syndrome multiple times in my career, and it wasn't until like ten years ago or so. I'd been doing with Linux professionally for five or six years, and I finally started to get a handle on it. I think I, I realized that. I know a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff, not all of it is applicable, but I also know that I think I'm good enough to figure out the rest. And I can speak pretty authoritatively on almost all the topics that might come up in a typical work setting. The thing I had a problem with was saying, I don't know. I was really paranoid about saying, I don't know how to do this, because I I thought people expected me to just always know, and I wanted, maybe I was wanting to maintain that illusion. I wasn't intended to be fraudulent about it and I was actually, maybe sometimes I would delay delivery on something a little bit. So I had time to learn about it at home and practice it and then come back and I could actually do it at work. Uh, Or sometimes you say, yeah, I can get that done by Friday. And you're thinking, how in the hell am I going to get this done by Friday? And you just, you know, you don't actually know how to do the thing that you've just said you're going to do by Friday because they demanded that you give them a, a due date. So now you have to go and make it work. I had some very late nights doing stuff like that. So that was really harmful
1: yeah it is because hey you remember when we were talking about people being a fraud Mm -hmm. um that's literally what you were doing right there Mm -hmm. yeah instead of saying i don't know how to do that i'm gonna need to look into it to give you an estimate or whatever give me an hour i'll let you know Mm -hmm. you acted like you know how to do it you then made up a time schedule that wasn't realistic because you didn't know how to do it Mm -hmm. um yeah don't do those things
0: yeah i don't do them anymore yeah, I don't
1: need to. I mean, I'm saying I'm saying this in general for okay. for everyone listening, because again, when we were talking earlier about how you know my preferred is to learn ninety percent and then just work on improving that last ten, and how that's not the way IT works. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's not the way IT works. There's never <laughs> I know how to do everything. Like that's just no. That's not it. You're always having to look. You're always having to figure things out, because at no point would you ever be able to learn everything, because mm-hmm. not only Is that ladder getting so much bigger, Mm -hmm. like taller as fast as like new stuff is being invented all the time and being created and new tools. But the breadth, the width of that ladder is getting wide at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like it's not possible for you to know how to do every single thing. Yes, it's not. And we just generally need to get to the point where we understand that it's okay to say, I don't know how to do something. Mm -hmm. Because saying you don't know how to do something is not the same thing as saying, I'm unwilling to learn how to do that thing. Mm -hmm. For some reason, people always think it is the same thing
0: yeah uh, I, I felt that acutely as a younger man i don't that's the thing i don't really regret those times when I'd say, um, okay, I'll get that done soon," or kind of that that fraudulent activity because I, I, I knew by then in this part of my career that I had enough smarts and I had enough drive and, and intelligence to figure it out now i That's not always the case. There are sometimes you think, oh, I can dive in and do this thing, and you realize, oh gosh, I'm in way over my head. And then you got to come clean and say, okay, I thought I knew how to do it. I started to do it. It didn't do like I expected it to. So now I got to back out and learn. It's just a matter of being able and willing. Maybe is a better way to put it. To admit the the thing I said earlier, you don't know. And I really, really, really didn't want to admit that. I can imagine some of our listeners can empathize.
1: And the other thing to keep in mind is saying you don't know is a grace to yourself because if you try to figure it out on a rush and you do a hacky job and it's crap and you turn that in somebody who does know is going to look at that and go hold up this dude said he knew what he was doing Mm -hmm. he said he knew how to do this this is absolutely not how you do this Mm -hmm. this is the worst way to do this why on earth did he think this was the right way to do this so like Coming clean and be like, I don't know how that, like the best way we, I should do that. So I'm going to need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Then if you produce something crappy, A, you've already told people that you're going to be figuring out, it might not be the best, mm-hmm. but it gives yourself the grace that when that is found out that, oh, this is not done the right way, it's not, you claimed you knew what you were doing and then you produced garbage. Right. Yeah.
0: It's uncomfortable to conclude that yeah, you know, I was being fraudulent back then. Fraudulent, but it's probably the most accurate way to put it. I wouldn't have called it that back then. I was doing it as much for myself, that unwillingness to say I don't know, as I wanted to do well in my position. So fast forward four or five years, and I had started to come to terms with this thing we're discussing now, and that you can't know everything. You just can't. And I had acknowledged that, and I had started to get more comfortable with that. And I can remember very this very strong feeling of liberation when I got to the point where I was able to say I don't know in front of other people and I think I was I felt comfortable doing it because I knew there was a lot of things I did know and for, mo- for me to not know this thing that was being discussed was not a stain on my character it was not uh, it doesn't say anything negative about me it just says I haven't gotten to it yet and so I started using those words instead I started saying I haven't had the opportunity to learn that yet, but I'm looking forward to it. And at that point, I've turned this, I don't know, into a positive thing, like, I really want to learn that. This would be great. Now, you've already said, I don't know how, by saying the words, I want to learn that. And you have set the expectation for, you're going to learn it. And I would hope you have a body of work coming into a job or coming into this task that says, oh, he does know how to learn things and figure them out. So, and I I honestly think that that ability to figure it out is, is crucial to this particular profession. One, because like you stated earlier, the ladder is constantly going taller and wider. I've also used the analogy of a treadmill that only ever gets faster, but it just, you have to be able to figure things out. I, I, none of the stuff that I do today did I learn in school. I, I, it moves too fast. I couldn't have gone to school to get the training that I I have in what I do now, especially the uh, cross language training. You can go to school and learn you can go to training courses with Red Hat and learn Ansible. You can go learn Ruby or, or Python. You can go to school or go to trade school and get some, some background in that. But really, there's all the docs in the world online. If you want to jump in and learn a thing, do it. So a lot of, of this niche of science and technology requires you to learn the stuff on your own. I think there's a lot of people in the Linux and open source community, which are largely self-taught, if not entirely self-taught. And that can breed disagreements in how things are done. We've seen, you know, catfights in, in public about this is the right way. No, that's the right way. Or companies catfighting over the right way to do it. You know, Elastic Church and Amazon is a recent battle that comes to mind. Or uh, Docker and Google coming up with Kubernetes. That was kind of a big shock to the Docker company, I bet. I realized this crown jewel tool they were working on, Docker Swarm, was upstaged by something written by Google that was vastly superior to their own product. I bet that wasn't fun. But I think it, um, there's always something new to learn, and if we come into a situation like that, then there's a confidence that you can gain from that. You you don't need to feel like an imposter. I I don't feel like an imposter anymore, even if there's something I don't know. And I'm, I'm right here trying to go back over the path that it took me to get to where I was back then, 10, 12 years ago, and where I am now. And it's difficult to follow. I can't really, it's, it's not like, oh, there's this point where I was born again, not an imposter. It's not like that. I think I remember it kind of happening over a a job change because the things you tell people or the person you are to people that you, when you enter a job, they kind of just expect you to always be that way. And so when you switch jobs, you can change subtly who you are. And I think I changed subtly to someone who is willing to discuss how, how much he didn't know over one of my job changes. That makes it a lot easier because it's, it's a whole new crew. They don't know what to expect from you. Yeah. So that's not to advocate for, okay, quit your job find a new one and, and do things differently. A lot of people have worked very hard to be in the, the jobs they're in or the company they work for and they, did, they don't want to leave. So... That's not what I'm saying, but it certainly does help. That clean break there does help. And it seems like... Also, there's... Let's say this. You have to believe in yourself. That's a platitude. I don't really like using that. But you have to really believe in yourself and your own skills before you Before I was willing to admit, I didn't know. I had to believe in myself. And so a lot of that earlier phase of my career, I didn't know that I believed in my own skills, frankly. And I'm trying to figure out why. Just it just. it It's not like anything changed with me. I just... Maybe I just felt like I, uh, I had this image of what I thought someone who was very competent in Linux should be like. And it was always many steps above where I, wherever I was. The, the second I climbed a step and I gained a new skill or learned some new things, wait, well, you no, know, the, the person who's competent in Linux is like three steps above that.
1: Was, well, there's always going to be somebody above you. Right. Like, that's just like, until you're Linus, right. uh, you, you don't know at all. Mm-hmm. And he only knows the kernel. He's not a wizard at the user land. So. Right.
0: Yeah. I think uh, you keep climbing. Let's say you do learn, quote unquote, everything there is to know about Linux. Well, you have to start kind of going into subcategories. You know, you can learn all you all you want to learn about Linux, but now you've got to learn about, like you said, user space software. But uh, let's say you really get involved in KDE development versus wine development, because they're different flavor projects. They have different approaches or you decide to go open BSD route, and they have a wildly different way of doing their development. It's like very hardcore, very prove it, very uh, no compromise. So the more you, I'll borrow a D&D term here, if you subclass into these things, you, you really start, um, you go more into the, the depths of a certain topic. Now you're doing that at the expense of learning another topic or another general thing, but you're still learning. And so maybe the the deeper you go into a certain topic, the more confidence you can feel like, I'm I'm on top of this topic. And if you feel like an imposter, if any of our listeners feel like imposters in their current situation, maybe stop and take stock of uh, how high up the mountain you've already climbed. Stop and look down at where you were three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, and look how far you've come. You'll see people in this metaphor that are climbing the mountain and they're coming up the mountain below you maybe also stop and help them. Because you don't know who else is, is struggling with this thing. Yeah, I remember now, some of my improvement in this imposter syndrome happened when I really started making an effort to help other people. I found a calling in that, personally. But I think it really helped me to, let's say, humanize that weakness. Maybe that's not a good way to put it. Like, considering it a weakness that you don't know a thing. But... When you help someone else learn something, you're edifying yourself because the best way to learn something is to teach it. And you're helping someone else too. Maybe you're helping them not feel like an imposter. And it's, uh, it's rooted in truthfulness too. Like if you're, if you're not willing to be honest with yourself about what you do and don't know, that's probably a big source of that feeling of being an imposter. So if you can summarize these things, it's kind of wandered here. I'm trying to grab it all back in here. So you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be willing to acknowledge your limits. You have to be uh, honest with other people about what you do and don't know. And you have to be honest about your ability to learn things and kind of roughly on a timeline. So a lot of that is based in truth.
1: I guess. Yeah. Uh, but this is where we once again, come back to one of my favorite rants that we haven't hit yet, which is management. Oh yes. Because a manager who understands that it is not a, you know, everything and you just do the job will not have expectations on you that you should behave that way and when an individual is comfortable that they can express to their manager that i don't know how to do that a lot of that imposter syndrome goes away because currently that doesn't generally that doesn't happen people when they're given a task they're given it and there's the expectation that the manager thinks they already know how to do it and that the manager expects them to just well if you know how to do this task this task should take you three days Therefore, you should have it done in three days. Well, no, it's going to take a week because you need to take two days to learn how to do the thing to do it in three days. Management that understands that is going to give people time and the open the ability to be open, and so that they can say, "I don't know how to do it. I need the time to do it." That's something that's different about our field because in other fields, that's not the case. I think I think we talked about this in a prior episode, uh, or maybe maybe not. Um, it could have been on one of the other episodes for another show that I did. But when <laughs> when you for instance we talked about mechanics last week. If you're a certified mechanic and you get a job at an auto shop, you show up and they're like, "Okay, change the brakes." They expect you to know how to change the brakes. Right. Like there's an expectation that you're going to be able to accomplish that. You don't need to learn how to do that. You know, when someone is hired as a physician at a hospital, there's the understanding that they know how to be a doctor and they know mm-hmm. how to do those things. They're not, "Oh, now you're going to learn how to be a doctor." No, they they, they know that knowledge. They know how to do it. Somebody goes to work in a, a restaurant as a, as a cook. There's the understanding that they know how to cook stuff. Like they're not, okay, now let me learn how to cook. Yeah, there's specific things for the special dishes, but generally they know how to operate everything. They know how the pieces work together and what kitchen, where the refrigerator is, where the stove is, where the fryer is. They understand all that. IT is not so much that because every company you get in, has things done, they, they run things slightly differently. They're all using different tools for development and, and management, um, whether they're using Jira or some other you know tracking software for auditing and, and metrics. Um, then there's the actual software itself, which is, well, what language is it written in? Well, how have they written it within that language? Because people develop in different ways. So when you join as a developer, yeah, you you understand programming, but that's pretty much it. You have to learn how to fit into what the company does, how they do it, Then the actual task, you know, you may be a C++ developer who has worked on, I don't know, you've worked on networking stuff, let's just say, and you see us at C++ and you've done networking. And then you end up at a company that is entirely focused on, say, crypto. And now you have to dig into the crypto stuff. Well. Yeah, you know how to program C++, but you've never done that aspect of using C++ to accomplish that task. So you've got to get up to speed with that. So there's not a, you just know how to do it. You can come in and on day one, start doing your job. Where at a lot of other jobs, that is the expectation. You are being hired because you know how to do the thing you will be doing. In development and in IT, a lot of it is, you know roughly how to do things, but you have the ability to learn the specifics of how it needs to be done in this use case. So learning how to think and find what you need to know are the skills mostly that are beneficial in it and good managers when they're looking for people for their teams are looking for those specific um those specific skills they might not know all the things off the top of their head but they can find the things that they need to know and then do it and when you have management that will give you time to learn so that you can perform the job I don't think there's a, people fall into the trap of being an imposter because they don't feel they have to then oversell that they know how to do things that they don't know how to do.
0: Yeah. So setting aside more discussion of management, we want to save some meat on that bone. There's plenty of meat there. We'll save it for the next episode or another episode. There are a lot of times when you may not be working for someone who understands what your team is supposed to do. So that person may not understand how long it takes to do something or may not understand. How difficult the thing is that they have asked you to do is that's happened to me a bunch of times. And earlier on in my career, regardless of how aggressive or ridiculous the thing, the request was, I would have gone and killed myself to try and get it done anyway because that was the expectation. And so, if you, so let's say this: if you have management who understands, I would hope that you would feel much less like an impostor. But even in a in a in a caring situation or an understanding situation, it's still present. I know people that I've interacted with I worked with or volunteered with and I'll turn to them and say, well, I think we're going to need to do X skill. Have you ever used Y tool before that we can use X skill? And you can kind of see it in their eyes sometimes. They're like, oh, of course I've used it. And then kind of in the back of their eyes you can kind of see, oh God, this is, I've never used this before. But they're, right. they don't want to say that they've never used a tool, especially if it's something like common. Like, oh, of course I've used Kubernetes. That's, yeah, that's how you say it, right? Kubernetes. I've used Kubernetes before. So... I don't know how to get past that part. So let's, let's, uh, I want to step aside from the manager employee kind of thing that we've mostly focused on. How about between teammates? Uh, Teammates hopefully are helping each other out. They're working towards the same common goal. And where one teammate may have a a lack of understanding, another one could help fill in. How is it that I can be casual, but affirming with a teammate who has just said, of course I know this tool, but I kind of suspect they don't. I mean happens all the time. What do you think?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, I would say it's management's fault if the team doesn't feel that they can actually be open and direct with each other. Okay. So, you know, they set the tone for the team, and if the team feels that they have to BS each other, well, I would then chalk that up to a management failure. However, individually, I mean, if, if you know somebody is BSing you, well, I mean, how you want to handle that is up to you because you know the individual and their personality and stuff like that. For me, I would probably generally either you know give them the chance to like okay do you actually really know this and then if they if they bs me twice then okay here's the rope go hang yourself like I, if you're gonna lie to me there's nothing i can do for you like if you're up front and you're like hey i i actually don't know how to do that then fine okay let's sit down let's go through it let's let's teach you but if you're gonna tell me that you know how to do something twice and you don't okay it's on you at that point
0: yeah okay so i i think there's a being on the other end of that, there's a f- fear is probably the right word, concern, anxiety over this person might think less of me because I don't know this tool, especially if it's something obvious, like uh, I've never used SSH. How could you be using Linux and not really have to run into SSH? Well, this could happen if all you've ever interacted with was Linux and your desktop mm-hmm. and you never really communicated with others. You just It was your your system of choice. Who says you would ever need to use SSH? You might have even used it transparently and not known. You had a website you were maintaining. You used the uh client and transparently in the background, it did the SSH part for you. So you may never know. Right. So I can't like, as the person who might ask that question of a, of a team member and that team member would then respond back to me with this imposter syndrome answer. I can't definitively say I'm not going to think less of you, but I will I try not. I'm sitting in my mind ahead of time when I'm asking the question, have you ever used X tool to not prejudge? whether they have or have not. And like you're saying, if, if, the, if the radar is going off, like, okay, they're kind of, they're snowballing me here.
1: I think it's still going to happen. So I think this is where it's good for team people on teams to actually know each other, know where their skills are and all that, because then you can actually get to know the person so that then they know when you ask, Hey, do you know how to do this? You're not asking because you're looking to face plant them. You're asking because you genuinely want to know. So if they don't, you can help them. So, again, when people on a team know that the people on the team have their back, there's less likelihood that they're going to feel the need to BS. But again, that's a, that's a management issue.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. The more, because the more even, I'm thinking through this, the more I'm seeing how, exactly what you're saying. A lot of these are management issues in the tone they set.
1: Yeah, because even somebody who doesn't know and comes in and is BSing through the interview, if they land on a team where everyone on the team is like, hey man, we're here for you, we're all in this together, they're going to be like, oh, Okay, cool. So, like, they're actually on my side. And then they're not going to need to BS, you know, play the BS game for months and months and months and months. But that's up to the team dynamics.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So, if I'm ever anywhere near an interview process, like, I'm interviewing to bring someone onto my team. I've not actually run a team before, but I have been heavily involved in interviewing for backfills or something. And I'm always looking for... Not specifically the knowledge. I want someone with some domain knowledge in Linux and DevOps mm-hmm. if I'm hiring for that. But I don't need them to know everything. I'm more interested in how quickly can they learn it. You know, someone who's hungry to learn and you know, is, is going to dive in and, and learn quickly, ideally. So that there's a deficiency gap in skills that can be covered by someone who learns quickly. Let's just put it that way. So I don't really have a good way to identify that in an interview setting or if you're coming into a setting and you're trying to learn about your teammates, how do you figure out a good way or how do you, how do you learn how well they learn? I guess is a good, a good question to ask because that, that also can impact their answer to you when you ask them about a tool.
1: Okay. So the, the problem with interviews is you don't know what all is going on in their life. They could have been out of work for three months and literally don't have money to pay their rent next month. So they're just, they're going to say whatever they have to say to get a job, to get that first paycheck, to keep food on the table and a roof over their head. So interviews are difficult because you don't really know the context of how the person is approaching it. Uh, for me, anytime, if I'm going to work somewhere and I'm applying for the job, that interview, everybody always thinks that it's the, you know, the, the company interviewing me. I'm interviewing the company and, and the person who's going to be my manager just as much as, as they're interviewing me. Exactly. I do the um, same. Because I'm trying to feel out how they operate and what things are like going to be like working under them. Because at that point I then have an idea of, okay, this is going to be a disaster of a team, but I, you know, I need the job. I still want it or, or whatever. Right. Or, okay, I don't know what I'm stepping into, but this is somebody that I can work with and I think things will work out well. I kind of look for that with other people. Anytime I've been doing contracting and we've had to bring other members on to, to do stuff is when they aren't willing to like come at me with questions. I'm, I'm a little suspect because yeah,
0: yeah that's a good tell
1: I, I approach it from the, you should be concerned for yourself just as much as me as, as you know, wanting me to think that you're stellar and you should have the job. If someone is, it does come out and is kind of more on the front with that. Personally, I'm more comfortable, even if I think there might be some knowledge gaps. Uh, It's it's
0: a confidence thing. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Confidence and trust, maybe. Yeah. It's also important that, you know, people often confuse confidence and arrogance. They're similar, but they're also very different. (laughs) You just like that, don't you? You got a lot of those. Well, no, because the details are what matters. You know, confidence is the ability to do something. Do it well, whatever. Arrogance is the portrayal that you can do something and do it well. It's not actually the ability. It's just the surface level appearance of it. So I don't know if I agree with that. Top Gun,
0: the uh, guys go to the school and... uh... There's some interchange exchange early on when uh, someone's asking, well, who's going to be the best one in this class? And Maverick, the, the protagonist, is kind of looking around like, of course it's going to be me. And the instructor snaps around and looks at him and goes, so you think you're going to be in the best, best in the class, huh? And he's kind of, Maverick's just looking back at him. He's like, oh, I like that. I like that
1: arrogance in a pilot. So I I don't know that I can just say arrogance is presenting. Can we not take life lessons from Top Gun?
0: No, 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 it's an example. I'm not taking a life lesson from it. I'm just citing something as a reference for a discussion. I don't know that you can always say that arrogance is portrayal because it's, I have confidence that I know Linux. Is it arrogant for me to say I know Linux? I don't think it is.
1: No, it's not arrogant to admit the truth about what you know. But arrogance is about projecting out more than just, yes, I know Linux. Because if you know Linux, you can sit there and go, yeah, I know Linux. Ask me whatever you want. And you don't need to be boisterous about it. You don't need to be flagrant about it. You don't need to be grandiose about it. Okay. If, you know, from, you brought up military, so I'll go down that road. Sure. If you look at the people who have spent time in special forces, they are all extremely polite. They're extremely kind. They're extremely respectful. They're usually very, very well reserved. They don't need to be outward and let everyone know that they're, they're a badass because they can level the entire room if they need to that confidence means they don't have to project that out because they know they can handle anything that comes at them. The person who's always up in your face about how great of a fighter they are and all the things that they did, that's the person you have to go, why are you being so out with this? Well, it's because they want people to think something that they can't exude, they can't show naturally. Hmm. It comes back to the okay. line of those that know the least know it the loudest.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I like that. Yeah.
1: So if you're, if you're highly skilled, if you're highly knowledgeable, there's nothing wrong with being honest about that. The arrogant side comes in when you're shoving it in people's faces. Okay. And you're either doing it because you're compensating, because you don't have the knowledge, or because you're a jackass. Either way...
0: Okay, yeah. Do you really want to deal with that person? No, neither, neither situation do I want to. Okay, so there's, um... What I'm hearing you say is that there's a degree of falsehood in arrogance that is not present in confidence. Confidence is rooted in truth. Arrogance is rooted in falsehood?
1: Um... I would say yes, because I view it that confidence is internal. Whereas arrogance is projecting out. Okay. So then, and if you're really confident in yourself, why? I mean, if the situation doesn't call for you to change, like let's say there's a discussion and somebody's saying stuff that's completely bogus and it's going to mess up your team. Okay. Then you want to speak out because what's going to happen might, you know, influence your team and be negative granted. But if you're just all sitting around talking and it's not related to work or whatever, there's no reason to project that out on people. Okay. It's, it's not needed. The only reason it is, is to preempt and give people an impression of who you are. But I mean, if you think about yourself, there, I'm sure there's many things in your life that you're competent over that you don't go around bragging about because you don't need to. It doesn't matter if, if this person knows that you're really good at whatever, because you're really good at it. And that's what matters. If it ever comes up in a situation, you can go, Oh, I know how to do that. But then you're not going to go, I'm the greatest ever. Everyone just sit back and watch me do this. I got yeah. this.
0: Yeah, You know, okay.
1: prepare to be amazed and be blessed that you got to watch me do this thing. Like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're just going to be like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. Let me do that.
0: Yeah, just, I got this. Don't worry about it. I can do this. Yeah. So then there's, there's a fun thing there. If confident, a confident person doesn't need to say much, there's an opportunity in there for someone who's playing a confidence game to masquerade as someone who is confident because he doesn't need to say much or she doesn't need to say much. So there's that kind of angle. And that calls back to the previous episode. I think that's where Herb was living and that little space. Yeah. But that drives me nuts. That kind of stuff. I think it's really be honest with me. I'd be honest with you. Let's be honest with management about the difficulty of the task you've laid down or be public about how deeply buried we are under all these tasks and expectations. Just. If it's rooted in truth and being willing to speak truth too, because it's not just enough for truth to be out there, you have to acknowledge it, you have to discuss it, you have to have conversations in the context of this truth, then that goes a long way towards, I guess, uh, eliminating imposters, both fraudulent people and hopefully eliminating some of the imposter syndrome too. And that's, that's the external side. I think everybody who's really feeling this also probably has an internal side to deal with too, but we're not mm-hmm. going to go into that because that's, yeah. that's deeply personal for every person. But as far as the external goes, things you can do to help promote healthy co-working relationships, just be honest and open. And let's just speak truth to each other and speak in the context of truth when we're making a decision or, or setting a timeline or something. Let's be realistic. And that has to come from management. If management is setting the tone of truth doesn't matter, whatever I say does, then I don't know that you'll ever be able to reach that. If management is the one that sets the tone like we want to be truthful, we want to be straightforward about what we're doing, let's be honest about the situation we're in, capture current state as honestly as we know how, so we can then decide what to do next to make it into the state we actually want. And if you just keep doing that over and over again, you can take steps away from this place where you're not confident towards the place where you are. And uh, I really hope that there's, if there's any managers out there listening, that they would take this to heart and be like, okay, time to go be truthful. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just, just in the context of truth, the, your discussions and, and yeah. the way you do your, if you're doing agile methodology, let's be truthful in our retrospectives. Let's be truthful in our, uh, when we're deciding what the backlog actually has. Let's just be truthful about what we can actually accomplish. The most successful agile teams I've ever been on were honest about how long things took. And I think that's what that T-shirt sizing thing is supposed to be. Remove a time or a number of hours away from a task and assign something kind of roughly equivalent, but does not have the the onus of a time limit. So if you're honest that this task is not a three, it's actually a seven, you know, because we we or or saying we think it's a five, but it could be a seven because there's other things we haven't really explored. And this if everything happens in this in the context of honesty, It'll cut down on imposter syndrome. It'll make everything go lots more smoothly. But you have to be willing to acknowledge as a team, as a manager, as an as a employee, when honesty doesn't look good, you still have to be willing to do it. That's, I think, a real challenge, especially in today's society where everybody's looking at social media and they're seeing the best of someone else. The lies, perhaps, or some truth, but some lies about the best of someone else's life. And you're looking at that life going, well, I don't measure up to that. But uh, in, in the work setting, if we're truthful and honest, then that'll go a long way towards alleviating some of this syndrome. So I imagine there's uh, probably quite a lot of our listeners that have gone through this or are in this right now experiencing some of this. We'd be happy to talk with you about it. Uh, share your thoughts with us, share opinions. JT, is there any closing thoughts or things we didn't cover that you'd want to catch real quick?
1: Um, Well, just all the threads that lead to other episodes. I think we... Uh, I think so. Yeah, we need to get to those.
0: We're leaving those as stubs, which we will come back and fill in later to to borrow more programming terms. But uh, we have tons of ways to reach out to us. We're always in the uh, Telegram channel and the the Matrix. We've got JT's email, which is JT at MindDripMedia.com. You can contact us us on Fireside. Let us know what you think. And uh, if you're struggling with imposter syndrome right now, then take heart and be honest with yourself and everybody around you, and maybe things will get better. Thanks closing sentences jt um
1: nothing off the top of my head i think i think we uh we had a good conversation and i'm just looking forward to what our listeners have to say
0: Uh, i'll close with be excellent to yourself